Hey everyone, it is I, D.B. Spitzer. Welcome once again to Black Clock Audio Tales, always hosted by BunnySlippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com. Check out the Wooly Bully Highland Cow Slippers. I know they're just called Highland Cow Slippers, but I can't help saying Wooly Bully. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you are all feeling well. Just to let you know, I am going to start just uploading as many of these Oz books as possible, just so people have stuff to listen to. If you have kids and you want them to listen to something that's not going to have a bunch of scary or weird stuff in it, eh, you might want to go elsewhere. No, I'm kidding. Oz, the Oz books generally are pretty children safe. There may be a few spooky parts here and there, but you know what? Everyone gets through it in the end. There's every story has Dorothy with a little animal and some friends, and you know, it's fun stuff. It's it's fun stuff. You know. I've been holding stuff together. I've been baking bread, making pasta, canning stuff, brewing. Um, and then I've been doing stuff that I don't normally do. <laughs> you know, the anxiety and the food stuff. That's I'm always doing that stuff. But lately I have been constructing instruments out of junk. You can check that stuff out on Instagram. I'm currently working on a couple of canjos and a uh, cigar box ukulele. Ukulele, whatever you want to call it. If you are interested in that kind of stuff, or if you want to check out and help the show by, I don't know, going to our Patreon at patreon.pgttcm.com, or however you get to Patreon, I can't remember, uh, you can also go to pgttcm.com, find out how to help our show by buying shirts. We're going to have some Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans shirts coming up pretty soon from uh, shirts for or Oleander, Wash uh, Oregon, and shirts for Uncle Owen's Goat Farm coming up in Los Futuro. Oh man, my Spanish is terrible. But it shouldn't be because I've been watching DuckTales and Troll Movie and all that other fun stuff in Spanish. Um, Libra soy, Libra soy. Yes. I hope you're all doing well. I keep saying I hope you're all doing well because I do hope you're all doing well. I can tell that a lot more people are listening. And thank you all for all of our new listeners. You guys are awesome. You ladies, everyone. Um, and anyone in between, I think you're all great. And, you know, I, I, I hope you're coming up with new recipes. I hope you've all watched Tiger King and all that fun stuff. And, you know, everything else that everyone else is talking about. Me, I'm going through old books, working on stuff outside, trying to stay away from TV and just listening to podcasts. Been listening to a lot of Doughboys and Small Town Dicks. Quite the juxtaposition. <laughs> All right, here we go with L. Frank Baum. Said it right this time. Road to Oz. Chapter 4 King Dox. It was amusing to note the expression on the face of King Dox as he looked the boy over from his sailor hat to his stubby shoes, and it was equally diverting to watch Button Bright stare at the king in return. No fox ever beheld a fresher, fairer child's face, and no child had ever before heard a fox talk, or met with one who dressed so handsomely and ruled so big a city. I am sorry to say that no one had ever told the little boy much about fairies of any kind. This being the case, it is easy to understand how much this strained experience startled and astonished him. "'How do you like us?' asked the king. "'Don't know,' said Button-Bright. "'Of course you don't. It's too short an acquaintance,' returned His Majesty. "'What do you suppose my name is?' "'Don't know,' said Button-Bright. 
How should you? Well, I'll tell you. My private name is Dox, but a king can't be called by his private name. He has to take one that is official. Therefore, my official name is King Renard the Fourth. Renard with the accent on the Ren. What's Ren? Asked Button Bright. How clever! Exclaimed the king, turning a pleased face toward his counselors. This boy is indeed remarkably bright. What's Ren? He asks. And of course, Ren is nothing at all, all by itself. Yes, he's very bright indeed. That question is what your Majesty might call foxy," said one of the counselors, an old gray fox. "So it is," declared the king, turning again to Button Bright. He asked, "Having told you my name, what would you call me?" "King Dox," said the boy. "Why? 'Cause Wren's nothing at all," was the reply. "Good, very good indeed. You certainly have a brilliant mind." Do you know why two and two make four? No," said Button Bright. "Clever, clever indeed. Of course you don't know. Nobody knows why. We only know it's so, and can't tell why it's so. Button Bright, those curls and blue eyes do not go well with so much wisdom. They make you look youthful and hide your real cleverness. Therefore." I will do you a great favor. I will confer upon you the head of a fox, so that you may hereafter look as bright as you really are. As he spoke, the king waved his paw toward the boy, and at once the pretty curls and fresh round face and big blue eyes were gone. While in their place a fox's head appeared upon Button Bright's shoulders, a hairy head with a sharp nose, pointed ears, and keen little eyes. Oh, don't do that! cried Dorothy, shrinking back from her transformed companion with a shocked and dismayed face. Too late, my dear, it's done. But you also shall have a fox head if you can prove you're as clever as Button Bright. I don't want it. It's dreadful. She exclaimed, and hearing this verdict, Button Bright began to boohoo just as if he were still a little boy. How can you call that lovely head dreadful? Asked the king. It's a much prettier face than he had before, to my notion. And my wife says I'm a pretty good judge of beauty. Don't cry, little fox boy. Laugh and be proud, because you are so highly favored. How do you like the new head, Button Bright? D- d- don't know," sobbed the child. "Please, please change him back again, Your Majesty," begged Dorothy. King Radar the Fourth shook his head. "I can't do that," he said. "I haven't the power, even if I wanted to. No, Button Bright must wear his fox head, and he'll be sure to love it dearly as soon as he gets used to it." Both the Shaggy Man and Dorothy looked grave and anxious, for they were sorrowful that such a misfortune had overtaken their little companion. Toto barked at the Fox Boy once or twice, not realizing it was his former friend who now wore the animal head. But Dorothy cuffed the dog and made him stop. As for the foxes, they all seemed to think Button Bright's new head very becoming. 
and that their king had conferred a great honor on this little stranger. It was funny to see the boy reach up to feel of his sharp nose and wide mouth and wail afresh with grief. He wagged his ears in a comical manner, and tears were in his little black eyes. But Dorothy couldn't laugh at her friend just yet, because she felt so sorry. Just then, three little fox princesses, daughters of the king, entered the room, and when they saw Button Bright, one exclaimed, How lovely he is! And the next one cried in delight, How sweet he is! And the third princess clapped her hands with pleasure and said, How beautiful he is! Button Bright stopped crying and asked timidly, Am I? In all the world there is not another face so pretty, declared the biggest fox princess. You must live with us always and be our brother, said the next. We shall all love you dearly, the third said. This praise did much to comfort the boy, and he looked around and tried to smile. It was a pitiful attempt, because the fox face was new and stiff, and Dorothy thought his expression more stupid than before the transformation. I think we ought to be going now, said the shaggy man uneasily, for he didn't know what the king might take into his head to do next. Don't leave us yet, I beg you, pleaded King Renard. I intend to have several days of feasting and merrymaking in honor of your visit. Have it after we're gone, for we can't wait, said Dorothy decidedly. But seeing this displeased the king, she added, If I'm going to get Ozma to invite you to her party, I'll have to find her as soon as possible, you know. In spite of all the beauty of Foxville and the gorgeous dresses of its inhabitants, both the girl and the shaggy man felt they were not quite safe there, and would be glad to see the last of it. But it is now evening, the king reminded them, and you must stay with us until morning anyhow. Therefore I invite you to be my guests at dinner, and to attend the theater afterward and sit in the royal box. Tomorrow morning, if you really insist upon it, you may resume your journey. They consented to this, and some of the fox servants led them to a suite of lovely rooms in the big palace. Button Bright was afraid to be left alone, so Dorothy took him into her own room. While a maid fox dressed the little girl's hair, which was a bit tangled, and put some bright fresh ribbons in it, another maid fox combed the hair on poor Button Bright's face and head, and brushed it carefully. Tying a pink bow to each of his pointed ears. The maids wanted to dress the children in fine costumes of woven feathers, such as all the foxes wore, but neither of them consented to that. A sailor suit and a fox head do not go well together, said one of the maids, for no fox was ever a sailor that I can remember. I'm not a fox, cried Button Bright. Alas, no, agreed the maid. But you've got a lovely fox head on your skinny shoulders, and that's almost as good as being a fox. The boy, reminded of his misfortune, began to cry again. Dorothy petted and comforted him and promised to find some way to restore him his own head. If we can manage to get to Ozma, she said, the princess will change you back to yourself in half a second. So you just wear that fox head as comfortably as you can, dear, and don't worry about it at all. 
It isn't nearly as pretty as your own head, no matter what the foxes say. But you can get along with it for a little while longer, can't you? Don't know, said Button Bright doubtfully, but he didn't cry any more after that. Dorothy let the maids pin ribbons to her shoulders, after which they were ready for the king's dinner. When they met the shaggy man in the splendid drawing room of the palace, they found him just the same as before. He had refused to give up his shaggy clothes for new ones, because if he did that, he would no longer be the shaggy man, he said, and he might have to get acquainted with himself all over again. He told Dorothy he had brushed his shaggy hair and whiskers, but she thought he must have brushed them the wrong way, for they were quite as shaggy as before. As for the company of foxes assembled to dine with the strangers, they were most beautifully costumed, and their rich dresses made Dorothy's simple gown and Button Bright's sailor suit and the shaggy man's shaggy clothes look commonplace. But they treated their guests with great respect, and the king's dinner was a very good dinner indeed. Foxes, as you know, are fond of chicken and other fowl. So they served chicken soup and roasted turkey and stewed duck and fried grouse and broiled quail and goose pie, and as the cooking was excellent, the king's guests enjoyed the meal and ate heartily of the various dishes. The party went to the theater, where they saw a play acted by foxes dressed in costumes of brilliantly colored feathers. The play was about a fox girl. Who was stolen by some wicked wolves and carried to their cave? And just as they were about to kill her and eat her, a company of fox soldiers marched up, saved the girl, and put the wicked wolves to death. How do you like it? The king asked Dorothy. Pretty well, she answered. It reminds me of one of Mr. Aesop's fables. Don't mention Aesop to me, I beg of you! Exclaimed King Dox. I hate that man's name. He wrote a good deal about foxes, but always made them out cruel and wicked, whereas we are gentle and kind, as you may see. But his fables showed you to be wise and clever, and more shrewd than other animals," said the shaggy man thoughtfully. "So we are. There is no question about our knowing more than men do," replied the king proudly. "But we employ our wisdom to do good instead of harm." So that horrid Aesop did not know what he was talking about. They did not like to contradict him because they felt he ought to know the nature of foxes better than men did. So they sat still and watched the play, and Button Bright became so interested that for a time he forgot he wore a fox head. Afterward, they went back to the palace and slept in soft beds stuffed with feathers. For the foxes raised many fowl for food and used their feathers for clothing and to sleep on. Dorothy wondered why the animals living in Foxville did not wear just their own hairy skins as wild foxes do. When she mentioned it to King Dox, he said they clothed themselves because they were civilized. But you were born without clothes, she observed, and you don't seem to me to need them. So were human beings born without clothes," he replied. And until they became civilized, they wore only their natural skins. But to become civilized means to dress as elaborately and prettily as possible, 
and to make a show of your clothes so your neighbors will envy you, and for that reason both civilized foxes and civilized humans spend most of their time dressing themselves. I don't, declared the shaggy man. That is true, said the king, looking at him carefully, but perhaps you are not civilized. After a sound sleep and a good night's rest, they had their breakfast with the king and then bade his majesty good-bye. You've been very kind to us, except poor Button Bright, said Dorothy, and we've had a nice time in Foxville. Then, said King Dux, perhaps you'll be good enough to get me an invitation to Princess Ozma's birthday celebration. I'll try, she promised, if I see her in time. It's on the twenty-first, remember, he continued, and if you'll just see that I'm invited, I'll find a way to cross the dreadful desert into the marvelous land of Oz. I've always wanted to visit the Emerald City, so I'm sure it was fortunate you arrived here just when you did, you being Princess Ozma's friend, and able to assist me in getting the invitation. If I see Ozma, I'll ask her to invite you, she replied. The Fox King had a delightful luncheon put up for them, which the shaggy man shoved in his pocket, and the fox captain escorted them to an arch at the side of the village, opposite the one by which they had entered. Here they found more soldiers guarding the road. "'Are you afraid of enemies?' asked Dorothy. "'No, because we are watchful and able to protect ourselves,' answered the captain. "'But this road leads to another village peopled by big, stupid beasts.' who might cause us trouble if they thought we were afraid of them. What beasts are they? asked the shaggy man. The captain hesitated to answer. Finally, he said, You will learn all about them when you arrive at their city, but do not be afraid of them. Button Bright is so wonderfully clever, and has now such an intelligent face, that I am sure he will manage to find a way to protect you. This made Dorothy and the shaggy man rather uneasy, for they had not so much confidence in the fox boy's wisdom as the captain seemed to have. But as their escort would say no more about the beasts, they bade him good-bye and proceeded on their journey. End of Chapter 4 Hey everyone, thank you for listening to the Road to Oz by L. Frank Baum, or Frank L. Baum. I keep mixing that up. Hey, do you want to help keep things straight? Why don't you go to Facebook or, I don't know, Instagram. Check out PGTTCM and Black Clock Audio Tales. You can also, also, also help out the show by rate, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Be like, hey, there's this annoying guy that has a podcast where there's books read. He doesn't read them. He gets people who can actually uh, read, do it. So yeah, check that out. And again, I hope you're all doing well. Support the show that gives you something to listen to. I love it. Chapter 5, The Rainbow's Daughter Toto, now allowed to run about as he pleased, was glad to be free again and able to bark at the birds and chase the butterflies. The country around them was charming, yet... In the pretty fields of wildflowers and groves of leafy trees were no houses whatever or sign of any inhabitants. 
Birds flew through the air, and cunning white rabbits darted along the tall grasses and green bushes. Dorothy noticed even the ants toiling busily along the roadway, bearing gigantic loads of clover seed, but of people there were none at all. They walked briskly on for an hour or two, and even little Button Bright was a good walker and did not tire easily. At length, as they turned a curve in the road, they beheld just before them a curious sight. A little girl, radiant and beautiful, shapely as a fairy and exquisitely dressed, was dancing gracefully in the middle of the lonely road, whirling slowly this way and that, her dainty feet twinkling in sprightly fashion. She was clad in flowing, fluffy robes of soft material that reminded Dorothy of woven cobwebs, only it was colored in soft tintings of violet, rose, topaz, olive, azure, and white, mingled together most harmoniously in stripes, which melted one into the other with soft blendings. Her hair was like spun gold, and flowed around her in a cloud, no strand being fastened or confined by either pin or ornament or ribbon. Filled with wonder and admiration, our friends approached and stood watching this fascinating dance. The girl was no taller than Dorothy, although more slender, nor did she seem any older than our little heroine. Suddenly she paused and abandoned the dance, as if for the first time observing the presence of strangers. As she faced them, shy as a frightened fawn, poised upon one foot as if to fly the next instant, Dorothy was astonished to see tears flowing from her violet eyes and trickling down her lovely rose-hued cheeks. That the dainty maiden should dance and weep at the same time was indeed surprising, so Dorothy asked in a soft, sympathetic voice, "'Are you unhappy, little girl?' "'Very,' was the reply. "'I am lost.' "'Why, so are we,' said Dorothy, smiling. "'But we don't cry about it. "'Don't you? "'Why not?' "'Cause I've been lost before and always got found again,' answered Dorothy simply. "'But I've never been lost before,' murmured the dainty maiden. "'And I'm worried and afraid.' "'You were dancing,' remarked Dorothy in a puzzled tone of voice. "'Oh, that was just to keep warm.' "'explained the maiden quickly. "'It was not because I felt happy or gay, I assure you.' "'Dorothy looked at her closely. "'Her gauzy flowing robes might not be very warm, "'yet the weather wasn't at all chilly, "'but rather mild and balmy like a spring day. "'Who are you, dear?' she asked gently. "'I'm Polychrome,' was the answer. "'Polly whom?' "'Polychrome. I'm the daughter of the Rainbow.' "'Oh!' said Dorothy with a gasp. "'I didn't know the rainbow had children, "'but I might have known it before you spoke. "'You couldn't really be anything else.' "'Why not?' inquired Polychrome, as if surprised. "'Because you're so lovely and sweet.' "'The little maiden smiled through her tears, "'came up to Dorothy and placed her slender fingers "'in the Kansas girl's chubby hand. "'You'll be my friend, won't you?' she said pleadingly. Of course. And what is your name? I'm Dorothy, and this is my friend Shaggy Man, who owns the love magnet, and this is Button Bright, 
Only you don't see him as he really is, because the Fox King carelessly changed his head into a fox head. But the real Button Bright is good to look at, and I hope to get him changed back to himself sometime. The Rainbow's daughter nodded cheerfully, no longer afraid of her new companions. But who is this? she asked, pointing to Toto, who was sitting before her, wagging his tail in the most friendly manner, and admiring the pretty maid with his bright eyes. Is this also some enchanted person? Oh, no, Polly. I may call you Polly, mayn't I? Your whole name's awful hard to say. Call me Polly if you wish, Dorothy. Well, Polly, Toto's just a dog, but he has more sense than Button Bright to tell the truth, and I'm very fond of him. So am I, said Polychrome, bending gracefully to pat Toto's head. But how did the Rainbow's daughter ever get on this lonely road and become lost? asked the shaggy man, who had listened wonderingly to all this. Why, my father stretched his rainbow over here this morning, so that one end of it touched this road, was the reply. And I danced upon the pretty rays, as I love to do, and never noticed I was getting too far over the bend in the circle. Suddenly I began to slide, and I went faster and faster, until at last I bumped on the ground at the very end. Just then Father lifted the rainbow again without noticing me at all, and though I tried to seize the end of it and hold fast, it melted away entirely, and I was left alone and helpless on the cold, hard earth. It doesn't seem cold to me, Polly, said Dorothy, but perhaps you're not warmly dressed. I'm so used to living nearer the sun, replied the rainbow's daughter, that at first I feared I would freeze down here. But my dance has warmed me up some, and now I wonder how I am ever to get home again. Won't your father miss you and look for you and let down another rainbow for you? Perhaps so, but he's busy just now. "'because it rains in so many parts of the world at this season, "'and he has to set his rainbow in a lot of different places. "'What would you advise me to do, Dorothy?' "'Come with us,' was the answer. "'I'm going to try to find my way to the Emerald City, "'which is in the fairy land of Oz. "'The Emerald City is ruled by a friend of mine, the Princess Ozma, "'and if we can manage to get there,' I'm sure she will know a way to send you home to your father again. Do you really think so? asked Polychrome anxiously. I'm pretty sure. Then I'll go with you, said the little maid, for travel will help keep me warm, and father can find me in one part of the world as well as another, if he gets time to look for me. Come along then, said the shaggy man cheerfully, and they started on once more. Polly walked beside Dorothy a while, holding her new friend's hand as if she feared to let it go, but her nature seemed as light and buoyant as her fleecy robes, for suddenly she darted ahead and whirled round in a giddy dance. Then she tripped back to them with sparkling eyes and smiling cheeks, having regained her usual happy mood and forgotten all her worries about being lost. They found her a charming companion, and her dancing and laughter, for she laughed at times, like the tinkling of a silver bell, 
did much to enliven their journey and keep them contented. End of Chapter 5 Chapter 6 The City of Beasts When noon came, they opened the Fox King's basket of luncheon and found a nice roasted turkey with cranberry sauce and some slices of bread and butter. As they sat on the grass by the roadside, the shaggy man cut up the turkey with his pocket knife and passed slices of it around. "'Haven't you any dewdrops or mist cakes or cloud buns?' asked Polychrome longingly. "'Course not,' replied Dorothy. "'We eat solid things down here on the earth. But there's a bottle of cold tea. Try some, won't you?' The Rainbow's daughter watched Button Bright devour one leg of the turkey, "'Is it good?' she asked. He nodded. "'Do you think I could eat it?' "'Not this,' said Button Bright. "'But I mean another piece.' "'Don't know,' he replied. "'Well, I'm going to try, for I'm very hungry,' she decided, and took a thin slice of the white breast of turkey, which the shaggy man cut for her, as well as a bit of bread and butter. When she tasted it, Polychrome thought the turkey was good.' "'Better even than mist cakes, but a little satisfied her hunger, "'and she finished with a tiny sip of cold tea. "'That's about as much as a fly would eat,' said Dorothy, "'who was making a good meal herself. "'But I know some people in Oz who eat nothing at all.' "'Who are they?' inquired the shaggy man. "'One is a scarecrow who's stuffed with straw, "'and the other a woodman made out of tin.' They haven't any appetites inside of them, you see, so they never eat anything at all. Are they alive? asked Button Bright. Oh, yes, replied Dorothy, and they're very clever and very nice, too. If we get to Oz, I'll introduce them to you. Do you really expect to get to Oz? inquired the shaggy man, taking a drink of cold tea. I don't know just what to expect, answered the child seriously. "'But I've noticed if I happen to get lost, I'm almost sure to come to the Land of Oz in the end, somehow or other. So I may get there this time. But I can't promise, you know. All I can do is wait and see.' "'Will the Scarecrow scare me?' asked Button Bright. "'No, because you're not a crow,' she returned. "'He has the loveliest smile you ever saw, only it's painted on and he can't help it.' Luncheon being over, they started again upon their journey, the shaggy man, Dorothy, and Button Bright, walking soberly along, side by side, and the Rainbow's daughter dancing merrily before them. Sometimes she darted along the road so swiftly that she was nearly out of sight, then she came tripping back to greet them with her silvery laughter, but once she came back more sedately to say, "'There's a city a little way off.' "'I expected that,' returned Dorothy, "'for the fox people warned us there was one on this road. "'It's filled with stupid beasts of some sort, "'and we mustn't be afraid of them, "'cause they won't hurt us.' "'All right,' said Button Bright, "'but Polychrome didn't know whether it was all right or not. "'It's a big city,' she said, "'and the road runs straight through it.' "'Never mind,' said the shaggy man. "'As long as I carry the love magnet, every living creature will love me, and you may be sure I shan't allow any of my friends to be harmed in any way.' 
This comforted them somewhat, and they moved on again. Pretty soon they came to a signpost that read, Half a mile to Dunkyton. Oh, said the shaggy man, if they're donkeys, we have nothing to fear at all. They may kick, said Dorothy doubtfully. Then we will cut some switches and make them behave, he replied. At the first tree, he cut himself a long, slender switch from one of the branches and shorter switches for the others. Don't be afraid to order the beasts around, he said. They're used to it. Before long, the road brought them to the gates of the city. There was a high wall all around, which had been whitewashed, and the gate just before our travelers was a mere opening in the wall with no bars across it. No towers or steeples or domes showed above the enclosure, nor was any living thing to be seen as our friends drew near. Suddenly, as they were about to boldly enter through the opening, there arose a harsh clamor of sound that swelled and echoed on every side until they were nearly deafened by the racket and had to put their fingers to their ears to keep the noise out. It was like the firing of many cannon, only there were no cannonballs or other missiles to be seen. It was like the rolling of mighty thunder, only not a cloud was in the sky. It was like the roar of countless breakers on a rugged seashore, only there was no sea or other water anywhere about. They hesitated to advance, but as the noise did no harm, they entered through the whitewashed wall and quickly discovered the cause of the turmoil. Inside were suspended many sheets of tin or thin iron, and against these metal sheets a row of donkeys were pounding their heels with vicious kicks. The shaggy man ran up to the nearest donkey and gave the beast a sharp blow with his switch. Stop that noise, he shouted, and the donkey stopped kicking the metal sheet and turned its head to look with surprise at the shaggy man. He switched the next donkey and made him stop, and then the next, so that gradually the rattling of heels ceased and the awful noise subsided. The donkeys stood in a group and eyed the strangers with fear and trembling. "'What do you mean by making such a racket?' asked the shaggy man sternly. "'We were scaring away the foxes,' said one of the donkeys meekly. "'Usually they run fast enough when they hear the noise which makes them afraid.' "'There are no foxes here,' said the shaggy man. "'I beg to differ with you. There's one anyhow.' replied the donkey, sitting upright on its haunches and waving a hoof toward Button Bright. We saw him coming, and thought the whole army of foxes was marching to attack us. Button Bright isn't a fox, explained the shaggy man. He's only wearing a fox head for a time until he can get his own head back. Oh, I see, remarked the donkey, waving its left ear reflectively. I'm sorry we made such a mistake and had all our work and worry for nothing. The other donkeys by this time were sitting up and examining the strangers with big glassy eyes. They made a queer picture indeed, for they wore wide white collars around their necks, and the collars had many scallops and points. The gentlemen donkeys wore high pointed caps set between their great ears, and the lady donkeys wore sunbonnets with holes cut in the top for the ears to stick through. But they had no other clothing except their hairy skins, 
although many wore gold and silver bangles on their front wrists and bands of different metals on their rear ankles. When they were kicking, they had braced themselves with their front legs, but now they all stood or sat upright on their hind legs and used the front ones as arms. Having no fingers or hands, the beasts were rather clumsy, as you may guess. But Dorothy was surprised to observe how many things they could do with their stiff, heavy hoofs. Some of the donkeys were white, some were brown or gray or black or spotted, but their hair was sleek and smooth, and their broad collars and caps gave them a neat, if whimsical, appearance. This is a nice way to welcome visitors, I must say, remarked the shaggy man in a reproachful tone. Oh, we did not mean to be impolite, replied a gray donkey, which had not spoken before. But you were not expected, nor did you send in your visiting cards as it is proper to do. There is some truth in that, admitted the shaggy man. But now you are informed that we are important and distinguished travelers. I trust you will accord us proper consideration. These big words delighted the donkeys and made them bow to the shaggy man with great respect, said the gray one. You shall be taken before his great and glorious majesty, King Kickabray, who will greet you as becomes your exalted stations. That's right, answered Dorothy. Take us to someone who knows something. Oh, we all know something, my child, or we shouldn't be donkeys, asserted the gray one with dignity. The word donkey means clever, you know. I didn't know it, she replied. I thought it meant stupid. Not at all, my child. If you will look in the Encyclopedia Duncaniara, you will find I'm correct. But come, I will myself lead you before our splendid, exalted, and most intellectual ruler. All donkeys love big words, so it is no wonder the gray one used so many of them. End of chapter six.